Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 8. And can you say discipleship? Amen. Today we're going to close out our series on discipleship. If you haven't listened to the first couple of lessons, go back to the Internet. They're there for free. And we talked about what a disciple is versus a consumer. Consumers come to church and say, I want it my way right away. You know, like Burger King, my way right away. And then what happens if you go to Burger King all the time? We get a little obese, don't we? And then what happens if you go to church and you just keep getting stuffed and, and you keep doing things and not doing anything with it, you become spiritually obese. Look at your neighbor and say, work it out. So you've got to work it out. And you know why they call them a pew, right? Because if you stay too long on these chairs, you begin to stink and it's pew. See, you've got to change and get out of here and do something in this world around you. Consumerism just keeps wanting it for themselves, but it's not for us. It's for out there. Amen. It goes in you and through you, in you and through you. You'll touch up, you'll touch in, then you'll reach out. You'll touch up, touch in, reach out. You'll touch heaven, then you'll go within, then you'll go without. Everybody goes, everybody say, in me and through me. Now, last week's message talked about what a disciple was, what a disciple does, how they live, what is the difference between them and just ordinary people coming to church. Let me give you a statistic right here. About 80% of Americans believe in the Christian Bible, believe in Jesus, believe in a Christian version of religion, 80% of them. But only a small percentage, about 1 in 10, that is 10% out of that 80% even go to church during the week. So that means 90% of people say they believe in God are not in church right now. How many have seen that? Then out of that 90% that's not going to church, how often they read their Bible and pray is maybe only once or twice in a month. So imagine if you didn't change your underwear only once or twice in a month. Hello? Imagine if you didn't only eat once or twice in a month. You would look good for a little bit, then you start to get emaciated, then you get real skinny, and then you would try to do something physical and you would faint. And that's why today most people's families are tore up from the floor up because they don't have the strength to fight and the strength to do what God's calling them to do. Children don't have the strength to fight temptation because they haven't been trained to be disciples in the world. And the devil seems so much stronger than God. And God in church seems like that little itty-bitty thing I do on Sundays. And it's like that big bad wolf going to blow the house down. The little piggies are all afraid. But look at your neighbor and say, I ain't no little piggy. Say, I'm a man or woman of God. You see, discipleship teaches you how to fight back. I'm not running from the devil. I'm not running from him. I'm running after him. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates keep people out. I don't come to the devil's house and ask him for something. I kick it down and take it in Jesus' name. I'm here to plunder hell and populate heaven. I want to get back everything that he stole from me. I want to get back a generation of young people. I want to get back my sisters from drugs and alcohol. I want to get back this neighborhood. So we have come to knock down the gates of hell in Jesus' name. That's what disciples do amen now you can either stand by and watch us or you can be a part of this revolution of what god is doing it starts with a decision in your own heart look at john chapter 8 this is what jesus said to the jews that believed in him how many chicagoans believe in jesus can you say amen if you're here today and you believe in jesus say amen Okay, so we're talking to you. Jesus is talking to you. These Jewish people had believed in Jesus, so they did their part of belief. They weren't an atheist. They weren't bowing down to Buddha. They weren't believing in Mecca. They believed in Jesus. This is what Jesus said to them. If you hold to my teaching, 
you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Nathaniel, come on up here. As Nathaniel comes, give this young, strapping young lad a hand clap. Come on. Come on up here, sir. Matter of fact, grab your Bible. Give him another hand clap as he grabs his Bible. Come on. Now, the Bible says, hold to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, brother, go ahead and hold on to that with both hands. Put your hands on it. Don't let me take it. you got to fight like you mean something, boy. See, I can't grab that. See, people will come in your life and say, you don't got to be a virgin. Man, you can have sex before you get married and try to take it. But he holds on to it. Somebody will tell you, oh, man, that's just on Sunday. Come on. Let's drink some alcohol on Thanksgiving. You're not in church. Let me take away your sobriety. What do you, you got to do? Fight, man. Fight like you got something. This guy's a wrestler. He's taking it easy on pastor. I want you all to hold on to it. Somebody's going to come to you in school or your friends at work, and they'll say, man, God's not real. All that stuff is a myth. Let me give you atheism. Look at your neighbor and say, hold on to it. Give this brother a hand clap. Come on. Thank you, brother. That's what Jesus meant. Jesus said, hold on to his teachings. If you hold on to what God says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and you will be a real disciple. That means you can be a fake disciple coming to church on Sunday, acting like you live for God. But on Monday, it's a different story. God's not looking for fakes. He's looking for real, true disciples. Look at your neighbor and say, be real about it. Come on, God wants you to be real about it. And if you're real about it, you hold on to his word. You don't let go of his word for your family. God says the husband is the head, the wife serves the husband, the children obey the parents. You don't let go of that. That's the calling of God for your family. When you're getting older, young people, and you've got a mission to go to college, some are going to go away. You hold on to your faith. The Bible says don't turn your back on God from the days of your youth when you get older. Do you know that 80% of our young people right here, when they go to college, lose their faith. Eight out of ten. Look at your neighbor and say, not here. I'm going to have you help me preach today. Amen. I want you to stay up today because that's what Jesus said. You believe in me. That's great. You know that I'm the Lord and Savior. He's saying that's great. But you've got to do something now. Hold to my teachings. Then you'll be a disciple. Now what happens to that person? Then they know the truth. The truth sets them free. People tell me, Pastor, I can't live for God. It's so hard. You know, the problem is you're not holding on to the Word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's an answer to every problem that you're facing in the Word of God. That's the solution. When you get a hold of that Word, you stand and believe it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You are set free from the oppositions and obstacles of your life. God is looking for people who are free. To set other people free. If you locked up, you can't get anybody else free. It takes somebody on the outside to unlock the door. If you want to see your children live for God, parents, you've got to set the example by praying and being free from perversion and bitterness and anger and all the things of your life so that you can set them free from the things in their life. If you want to see people change, you've got to change first. The Bible is looking for people that are disciples. Jesus had 12 disciples. Now, I want to ask you a few questions. But before I do, I want to tell you about my life so you can understand why every week I tell you this and why it's so important to me. Well, I came to Jesus Christ at November 5th, 1995 at my mother's kitchen table. I had been a backslider. That means I knew that meant I knew God. I grew up in church. But by the time I was 11 years old, I was already breaking into homes with the neighborhood kids, and I was stealing my sister's cigarettes smoking. 
By the time I was in high school, I got kicked out, placed into an alternative school. And by the time I was 16, I dropped out of that school, became a full-time drug dealer, committed crimes, and I did the time. I served juvenile jail over six times. And my biggest time that I was in there was for 40 days. When I got at the age of 17, I said, I never want to do that again, but I kept doing drugs. I moved to Chicago to live with my other sister. Here I got into more trouble. I did heavy drugs. I thought I was going to die, crystal meth, LSD. Then I came back to my hometown, and I asked God to save me, but I didn't mean it, and I kept praying prayers at night, but during the day didn't live by it. And then one day a guy got drunk, and we got in a fight, and he pulled a gun on me, and I almost died. He pulled the gun, and the trigger would not be pulled. It was a little gun, a little twenty-two without even a, a safety or anything, and, and, he, and he pulled it on me. And my friend said to this day, he doesn't know how he got up, knocked the gun out of his hand, and got me free from that person. It was a miracle. Then one day I couldn't fall asleep, and God said, I'm calling your name. And I called up my mom, and I said, take me to a mental hospital. I'm going crazy. That's what I thought when God was talking to me. I thought I was crazy. My mom said, you're not crazy. All you need is Jesus. You don't need a mental hospital. I, I ended up cursing her out. I was, one of the, I was mean and rude to her that day more so than I had been on any other day. And as a matter of fact, my mom, who had been praying for me from age 11 to 18, that day she said, I, I've come to my wit's end. I don't even want to talk to him anymore as, as I cursed her out and she hung up the phone. But later on, no mental hospital could help me. I even met one of the people that was in the house that day when I was talking to him when the last time I went home. And he said, Joe, I could tell how distraught you were. But I ended up going home that day, and I said, Mom, look, if Jesus doesn't work, you've got to put me in a mental hospital. And that day, my mother said a simple prayer, Jesus, touch my boy. And I'm telling you something, at that kitchen table, while my mother prayed for me, I felt the Holy Ghost and fire go up in my body. I felt Jesus touch me. Tears started coming down my eyes. I knew I was saved. I then took the Bible that I had earned from Bible memorization when I was a child in Sunday school. She still kept it in my bedroom. I took that Bible and I went back to the woman's house I was living with because I thought I could have one world in with Jesus and one world, uh, one, one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. And I took that Bible to that lady's house, that girl's house I was living with, and I just flung it open to the middle and I started reading the book of Psalms and tears started coming down my eyes. And then I got scared again. I looked in the mirror and I said, God, what's going on? And then I saw evil presences like what you would see in a horror movie, uh, dark complexions and ghost-like figures all over me. I called up my dad and I said, Dad, I think I've got demons. I'm afraid. My dad said, come on home. So at the kitchen table, I got saved. But at the living room couch, I got delivered from evil spirits and filled with the Holy Ghost. My father cast evil spirits out of my life. I felt the power and the presence of God come all over me. I started speaking in other tongues. And I knew that I knew that not only was I saved, but I was sanctified, separated from the world. And what began to happen that day is I desired the Word of God. For hours, I would be alone in my room and I would start praying. For hours, I would start reading my Bible. Within a few months, I, I got a job. And that was a miracle because I had gone through 30 jobs by that time I was 18. So when I got a job, that's how my mom really knew I was saved. And I started delivering pizzas. And one day I was delivering pizzas to a nursing home. And I was dropping off the pizza there. And there was an old decrepit lady. And she was old, but she reached out her hand to shake my hand. And as I went to shake her hand, the nurses said, don't touch her. She's crazy. She'll bite you. And then I looked at the nurses. I said, y'all know where I have been. I'll touch her. Come on, I've touched so many worse things. God bless you, sister. I love you. 
And then I set down the pizza, did my thing, and left. And then in my car, the Holy Ghost came on me like a shower, as if somebody turned on a spout. And just the Holy Ghost came all over me. And he said, Joe, I've called you to touch hurting people. And others will try to tell you to stop, but you touch them for me. And then I took that little bit of money that I had, and I started going to the food bank, and I bought groceries by the pound, 10 cents a pound for the dollar. I could get whatever that is. What is that, 100 pounds, 10 pounds? Yeah, 10 pounds. And so $100 would get me 1,000 pounds of food. And me and a couple of guys, we would go to the inner city of Fort Wayne, Indiana, with a van load of food, and we would start giving it out to the projects. We didn't even know what we were doing. There was no pastor with us. There wasn't anybody. It was just us because we had to give it back. And then I remember churches uh, inviting me to come and share my testimony. And I remember one time at a youth group, they asked me to come share my testimony. And I shared it somewhat similar like how you're hearing me now. And it actually scared the youth pastor. He pulled me aside and he said, now, now, Joe, that's a little intense for my youth group. Leave all that other stuff out. I'm being serious with you. I remember one time being in a church, and it was a service like this, and they did an altar call, and they said, cry out to Jesus. And I just kept screaming at the top of my lungs, Jesus, Jesus, I want you, I need you, I'm so desperate for you. And I remember a guy coming up to me going, you need to keep it down. You need to keep it. This was at the time, it wasn't in the service, it was a time of prayer. They said, y'all, you need to keep it down. I said, I can't. I don't know how to be any other way. I've been touched by God. I've only been saved a few months. They said, if you can't get along, then you have to go. That was the first church I ever got kicked out of. They kicked me out when I was on drugs. Now they kicked me out because I'm high on Jesus. And then I remember going to another church, and they said to me, we want to do discipleship with you. We want to teach you the things of God. And I got so excited. I got my Bible. I got my notepad. And when I showed up to that person's house, I just, I just talked like for the first half hour. I know it's hard to believe I would talk a lot. But I said, man, I want to evangelize. I want to touch the world. I want to do all this, 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 and this. How are you going to help me do this? And the guy literally said to me, I can't help you do that. I don't even do that. And then I remember seeing a television preacher on TV, and I said, man, I want to be like that guy. That guy's on fire. I want to preach like him. I want to be like him. And I applied to the Bible college. Here I was, a high school dropout that got my GED, incarcerated, eight times, served time, been on drugs and all this. And now finally I want to do something right. I send in my application to the Bible college, and guess what happens? They rejected me. They said I wasn't saved enough. They said you've got to be saved at least a year. I said, but I'm ready to go now. And I remember sitting in the bathtub that day, and I just started crying. I said, God, I don't get it. I've been kicked out of churches when I try to cry out to you. I've lost my supposedly Christian friends because all I want to do is go out and help people. And then when I apply to a Bible college, they reject me. Well, in about a few months after that, right before school was supposed to start, in the middle of the summer, my friend was traveling around the country, and he came upon a school called the New Orleans School of Urban Missions. And it was only about 12, 15 people in the heart of New Orleans working in nine different projects, working in the French Quarter. And my friend met all these radicals, international students. Out of that dozen, there was people from Jamaica. There was people from Latino nations, and they were all radical. And my friend said, that's a place for you, Joe. You've got to go there. They're doing it. You'll love it there. I called them up. They accepted me. I never even saw the campus. And I went down and started Bible college. 
at that place in Bible college. I had been rejected so many times. I was so used to being on fire that by the time I got to a place that was on fire, I had pride. Somebody say pride. Because then Brother Anthony, the saintly man that came and preached in this church, I call him a saint because he had to be to put up with me. All of a sudden I got into his house and I was so prideful that when he would talk, I would interrupt him. And he would say, settle down, man. You, you don't know all this. Let me teach you. And then one day I started rebuking my fellow students. And I said, y'all ain't radical enough. And then they brought me in. I have this in our uh, 201 book. They brought me in. They said, Joe, if you don't change, we're going, to re- we're going to expel you because of your rebellion. And then I remember going to my car saying, God, I know you called me to be radical. And they're just trying to stop it again. So, God, I'm going to leave like I've left all those other places. And I packed up all my stuff. And I started heading out. And you, some of you have heard the story, but I came to a gas station with all my stuff in my car leaving. And a woman walked up to me and she said, hey, how are you doing? And I used to say every day is a good day with Jesus. And in the south, they always ask you how you're doing. Out here, they think you're crazy if you ask them how they're doing. You know what I'm saying? And they asked me, how are you doing? I, and, I, and I couldn't say every day is a good day with Jesus. I just kind of mumbled. And I was just like, eh, everything's okay. And at that moment, God spoke to me as clear as he, he always would speak to me. He said, if you leave here, I'm leaving you. Because I've called you to be discipled here. It was Halloween Day, 1996, and I went back to the phone, pay phones back then, guys, and I called up my professor, and I said, Professor, will you accept me back into your school? I'll do whatever it takes. And they said, if you'll do whatever it takes, you're going to be on toilet duty. And they told me to start cleaning toilets. I didn't preach anymore. I didn't have a Bible study anymore. I started cleaning toilets. And the president of the Bible college, Brother George, came to me one day, and I was cleaning a toilet in the office. And he said, how's it going? And I said, man, it's going really good. I just found out if I mix the bleach with the water, I get up all these stains. Man, I'm doing great. It just came naturally out of my heart to testify that I was doing good. He said at that point that he knew from my positive attitude through that time that God was humbling him and changing me, and they allowed me to start leading ministries there. So I recognized what it was like to be discipled, what it was like for somebody to get into my life and to start to care about me and to start to teach me, and if I got a little bit off track, to discipline me. So when I started my first church, we were in New Orleans, and it was a church in the inner city, predominantly all African-American. We worked in the housing projects, and I began to reach the people, and I was so excited. All I wanted to do was win souls for Jesus, win souls for Jesus. So we did outreaches, basketball tournaments, feeding programs, children's programs. And within two and a half years, I was traveling around the country like the white Robin Hood going to the hood. That's what I felt like I was like. I would go out, raise $100,000 and then spend it all in the hood. And then guess what happened after those two and a half years? I began to realize we didn't have any discipleship. We didn't have any leadership. Most of the people that I won to the Lord, they walked away from God. Because I was so excited to preach to them, I didn't stop and disciple them. And then because of that, we financially couldn't support the church anymore. I was tired of fundraising. I started pastoring at 22 years old. And by the time I was 26, I was already facing burnout because all I did was go out and win souls. I didn't know how to disciple. I didn't know how to pace myself. Everybody was even trying to tell me, maybe you're not even a pastor. Maybe you're just supposed to be a traveling speaker. And then I had to shut down the church. Could you imagine how sad that would be? Can you imagine that shutting down a church? 
And I remember that day shutting down the church and having a brother there and me saying to this pastor, I'm giving these people now to you because I can no longer do what's right for them. And then a church here in the city with hundreds of people hired me to be there. And this was a big church for me. And they gave me a salary. And Daddy ain't never made no money preaching. Amen. So I was praising the Lord. I got paid to preach the gospel. Somebody say amen. So I came up to Chicago, and they said, we're going to pay you to be a youth pastor. Here's a great big church. Numbers won't be your problem anymore. Money won't be your problem anymore. And they loved God, and so it was wonderful. But I began to realize that the church wasn't made up of disciples. And then you would see every now and then a young person act crazy. But you would, I would try to correct them, but then the parent would get their back. And then the elders or deacons would say, don't mess with them because they're in the inner circle, and you can't do that here. And then I would start to preach a certain way. And I remember preaching my guts out. They would let me preach one Sunday a month to the whole congregation. And I would preach my guts out. Four or five hundred people preaching my guts out, hitting my knees, band in the front. And the altar would be totally empty. And then I would get back up and I would say, what is wrong, people? Live for God. What is wrong? And I remember my pastor sitting me down in the back saying, you can't preach like that to them. They don't want it. And so only after eight months being there and a trip to New York, there uh, traveling with my pastor, I resigned on that trip. And I said, Pastor, I can't do it anymore. I'm not this person. I can't be the political guy. I just can't show up on Sundays and Wednesdays in my nice suit, take a paycheck, and go back home. I've got to get out into the streets. I've got to preach a message that will touch people's lives. And so I left the church and moved back, uh, went to my apartment. I was by myself. Nancy was just my fiance at that time. I had only been in Chicago for eight months, but in New Orleans for seven and a half years. And it freaked me out because I resigned in November. And all of a sudden, the sun was going down at four o'clock in the afternoon. I thought I was going crazy. I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm in a city all by myself. Lights going out at four. What do you do? Depression began to set in. I began to get scared. I didn't know what to do with myself. And you know what? I called up my mentor, Brother Anthony, who had been there for me all of those years. And I said, Pastor, what should I do? And he said, go out and win souls and make disciples. And that's how the church started that you're a part of today. We didn't try to go out and be the salvation army of the whole world. That's okay. But we put discipleship first. And I became a disciple of my pastor. And I would call him up and say, man, this is what's going on. And this is what's going on. The church began to grow out of our apartment. Then we went to a Methodist building. Then we went to the diversity location. Then we came here. And the church is still growing. Why? Because I understood what it was like to be a disciple and to make disciples. So when I'm talking to you today about discipleship, this is not just a little check on the message list. Well, I heard that one. No, this is everything to me. This is everything. This is why at times I felt so lonely and afraid as a Christian because nobody was there to disciple me. This is why I made it through all the hard times that I faced in Bible college because somebody was there caring for me. That's how I became a pastor. And when it came to starting this church, the very thing that I love and what brought you here this morning was because when we started this church, it was with this vision, it was with this passion that we would not just be an entertainment facility for you and your children, but we would be an equipping army making radical disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples to change the world for Jesus. 
And so when we started this second church, my wife and I, there was no doubt what we were going to do. We wrote these things down. And this has been the mantra of our church the past five and a half years. And we just counted yesterday the amount of disciples in this church, not congregants, not attendees, because those can come and go, but those who are involved in the 101 and 201 process. And there is over 83 disciples in this church, more than we have ever had, 13 more than even last month. Why? Because we got passionate about what Jesus was passionate. We don't have time to read the whole New Testament, but put it in your spirit right now. When you read the Bible, who is Jesus with all the time? His disciples. Who is Jesus talking to? The disciples. What are you reading when you read the Bible? The letters of the disciples. That meant that Jesus knew how to get together with a few people that he could trust, pour himself into, and work with their problems, and raise them up to be world changers history makers and generation shakers and that's what the church is built on it's not built upon pizza parties and potlucks it's not built upon good messages and great choirs it's built upon people learning to live and act like jesus in the fullness of the gospel. And that's what we put up here. Jesus said the two greatest commandments was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we're here. What do we do? We connect to the cross. We get mentored and we go out and share the cross. And that's our goal. Now today I want to ask you some questions. That's the introduction. Somebody say, preach it. Come on, brother, flip it for me. I want to ask you some questions to see if we can apply it to your life today. Number one. Ask yourself the question, am I saved? That's where we got to start right now. Are you saved? If you're asking yourself what does that mean, just put no. Because if you don't know what it means to be saved, you're not saved. Amen? Now, guess what? We have a place for you here. And what you need to do today is get saved. The Bible says whoever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord shall be saved. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will turn from wickedness. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and turn to God and you shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. So if you're not saved, you need to get saved. Number uh, two, it's supposed to say number two there. Do you have evidence of salvation? Ask yourself this question. Do I have evidence of my salvation? Meaning, how do you know you're saved if you just quickly checked off and said, yeah, I'm saved? What are you saved from, a bad hairdo? What are you saved from? Be honest with yourself. Because if you are saved, you will have evidence. What did Jesus say was the evidence? He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Galatians chapter 5 talks about fruit. Fruit of the Spirit comes from the life of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Have you been saved? Do you know that you're saved? And is there evidence in your life? The way I like to say it is, if being saved was a crime, is there people around you with enough evidence to convict you of being saved? Or are people around you going, really? Oh, you're saved? Oh, I couldn't tell. Oh, I don't know if she's saved. Come on, somebody. Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being saved? Now, number three. After being saved, was I trained to live for Jesus? In other words, disciple. 
So now let's make it personal. After you got saved, were you discipled? Did somebody ever come into your life and start discipling you? Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go into all the world, preach to all the nations, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Have you ever been discipled? That was Jesus' command. Somebody say amen. You can say, oh me, oh my, but it's better to say amen. Have you been discipled since being saved? Number four, misnumbered here a little bit. Am I currently in an accountable relationship with someone now? So right now, are you in an accountability relationship? Is somebody checking up on you? Is somebody encouraging you? Is somebody asking you, have you read your Bible? Have you prayed? Have you sinned in word, thought, or deed? How is your spiritual life? Are you going forward or backwards or remaining the same? Are you in that place right now? And then lastly, ask yourself this question. Do I have growing relationships in all three cross areas of my life? And I have what I mean here. It's called the cross relationships of life. The first part is upwards. This is discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. This is someone over you. So are you in a healthy relationship with someone over you, discipling you? And you can't make the excuse, well, I get it on Sunday. No, you don't. I'm, I'm, if I'm the one doing it, I can tell you I'm not doing it. Amen? Y'all looking at me crazy right now. Coming to church on Sunday don't disciple you all. Jesus preaching to 5,000 in the crowds didn't disciple them. It don't happen in crowds. It happens with individuals. I just felt this toe being stepped on right there. This is my spirit. Some of y'all just thought Sunday was okay. Now, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Sure you are. Jesus loves you. If you believe, confess with your mouth. Remember, we went through this. But the question is, are you being discipled? Are you a part of the 5,000 that's just hanging around Jesus? Or are you one of the 12 that's with Jesus? Because remember, he told them, you go out now and make other disciples. He didn't say go out and make church members. He didn't say go out and big build crowds. He said go out and make other disciples. So how is it going with somebody discipling you? Number two, horizontal, which is friendship. Do you have peers next to you that challenge you to go broke for God, that give your all to God? Meaning mothers, do you have other Christian mothers in your life? Fathers, do you have other godly men in your life that aren't going to take a little, well, the devil made me do it. Bighooters.com. And you know, you got to have a brother in your life that's going to look at you and go, man, you crazy get rid of that chunk let me throw your computer right out the door you can't play that excuse with me come on man you know what i'm talking about fellas we don't go to the gym and go come on bruce if i did that in the gym and go bruce i just know you can't lift it that's okay set it down and go with the fives okay bob if we did that y'all would call us something else you go to the gym come on man lift that 25 lift it lift it Yeah. Come on. You know, dudes, when they get together, that man pride comes out. Men, do you have other men of God in your life challenging you to live for God? Horizontal friendships. Lastly, downward, which is leadership. Now are you a leader with other people following you? You see, you can't lead until you've been taught. And so the Bible says that disciples go and make disciples, but how can you make disciples unless you've been a disciple? Do you understand why you have to be effective in these relationships? When the 12 followed Jesus, Jesus was the one over them. Then the 12 around them were their peers. You can just see them hanging out together, you know. You got James and John walking up to Jesus, and and they try to trick Jesus. They go, Jesus, 
would you say yes to what we're about ready to ask you? And Jesus is like, I ain't going to tell you that. What are you asking me? Jesus, when we get to heaven, can me and my brother John sit on the right side and left side? And you could just imagine Peter coming up to John after that. Man, why'd you ask him that? The Bible says they got mad at him. You could see like him kicking him in the butt. Go, why'd you do that stupid? Am I the only dude that acts like that? I guess you don't want to hang out because I'm a, I guess I'm a butt-slapping, kicking guy, okay? I'll tell on myself. You hang out with me, guys, you know, come on, you're going to get it. Even though you're not on the football team, it's like, come on, man. Praise God. I just want to keep it real. They were disciples around each other. Ladies, you know how you do it. Just do your little thing. Little spear fingers. We can do it, ladies. Come on, Manny Petties. Now let's go right, radical for God. I don't know what ladies do. Isn't that good? I really don't. My wife will implement that. And then lastly, you got people following you. So ask yourself these questions. Are you living the life of a disciple? Is somebody discipling you? Are you around disciples? And are you making disciples? Somebody say, help us, Lord. Now, here's today's message. I'll go through it quickly. I want to show you the pattern throughout the whole entire Bible. Connect, mentor, and send. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19 and look at the life of Elisha and Elijah. It's not just a New Testament concept of connect, mentor, send. It goes through the whole entire Bible. Elijah, Elijah rather, was a prophet of God. He served the Lord, and God gave him a, a person to mentor, a student to be under him. And in 1 Kings chapter Chapter 19, it tells the story about when Elijah met Elisha. So look at 19, verses 19 through 21. When you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with his 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12 pair. So the dude's working in the field with some oxen. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. So he goes up while the dude is working in the field. He throws up his jacket around him, which is basically a way of saying, I want you to be my student, and I want to teach you what I know. And he said, he said Elisha then left his oxen, verse 20, ran after Elijah, and he said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done? So you remember when Jesus, we talked about this before, somebody came up to Jesus and said, hey, I'll follow you, but first let me go to my mother and father. Do you remember that? And then Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Or he said to the other person, whoever's put their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. If you remember that, can you say amen? This is before the time of Jesus. This is Elijah saying the same thing. Elijah walks up to Elisha while he's working in the field and says, come follow me. Elijah says, let me go back to my family. And Elijah goes, dude, you can't do that. You've got to go right now. So look at what Elisha does. I love Elisha. So Elisha went back and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. So the cows and the oxen that he's using to plow the field with, these are his dad's oxen. He kills them. He sacrifices them. It'd be like me running to my car and setting my car on fire and come follow you. Do you get this? Y'all got to read the Bible. You think I'm crazy. It's in the Bible. Amen. He left and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. And if that was enough, he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. So he takes his oxen, kills them. He takes the plow, sets it on fire, and then feeds the oxen to everybody else. You want to talk about burning your bridges. Amen. This dude was saying, there's no way I can go back here. I've just killed my dad's oxen and set the whole oxen thing on fire. He made a decision. I'm going to follow Elijah, didn't he? 
And then from that point on, what does he say? He set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. So here you see a prophet in the Old Testament named Elijah. He recruits Elisha. Elisha burns all of his old ways, follows Elijah, becomes his attendant. Now go to 2 Kings. Go to 2 Kings and see how he served. What did this awesome man of God, Elisha, do for Elijah? Let's see the way in which he served this man. 2 Kings. Praise God. If you're loving Jesus, can you say amen? Amen. Come on. Who's got their Bible in front of them? My computer's running too slow. Can I get your Bible? Thank you. Got to go old school today, friends. Sorry about that. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. Thank you. Chapter 3. Okay, verse 11. Can you say I'm there? But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour what? He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Wow. That doesn't sound like a pretty cool job, does it? That's crazy. Hey, man, uh, Joselito, you want to come follow me? Okay, first, burn your car, set it on fire, kill an animal, let's eat it, and then do me a favor, give me some hand sanitizer. We would think this is crazy. This is your Bible. So Elijah says to Elisha, you want to be a prophet like me? And what did Elisha, Elijah do? He called down fire. He raised the dead. He healed sick people. But when he said to Elijah, you want to follow me? You're going to start from the bottom. You're going to start from the bottom. You're going to learn how to wash my hands. You're going to learn how to take care of me. You're going to serve me. Do you understand, my friends, that discipleship, it's not about how great of a leader you can be, but how great of a servant you can be. The example is not... Can I preach and change the world and be the next Billy Graham? The example is, can I be a servant like Jesus and wash people's feet? That's what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. So when I'm asking you to be a disciple and some of you go, oh, I'm just not called to be a leader, that is the wrong attitude because let me tell you what you're called to do. Wash somebody's hands. Let's just keep it real. If you're saying I can't be a disciple, what you're saying is it's still all about you. Because when it becomes about discipleship, it becomes about others. And sometimes the first people you've got to serve is in that upward relationship. And by the way, my hands are clean, but I'm pretty okay with that. But guess what? The church van needs to be clean. Uh, the church needs to be clean. The children's room needs nursery workers. The adopt-a-block needs help. The after-school program needs it. And so what happens is when people say, I want to connect to God, they get in a relationship where they start serving. Can you say amen? Amen. Now go to 2 Kings chapter 2. Here is the end of Elijah's life. Praise God. We got leaves in this Bible right here. You, you like leaves? Amen. Thank you for letting me use this. I feel a little embarrassed now. Got to work on my computer. 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 13. Talking about Elisha, this is when Elijah was taken up to heaven. Elisha picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him, struck the water with it, and he, he said this, Where now is the Lord God of Elijah? When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. 
So what happened in the life of Elisha? Elisha did the same works that Elijah did. Elijah just had raised the dead and had crossed over this Jordan. This was one of the last things that he did. I'm sorry about the leaf, by the way. And he went, and now he got the cloak that was put on him. And guess what Elisha does in his life? Twice of what Elijah did. Are you all listening to me today? What happened? Elisha connected to Elijah. Then Elijah raised up Elisha by having him do menial things like washing his hand, but it was changing his heart. And then when his life was over and Elijah had to go, he gave him the very mantle that was put upon him, and he split the Jordan in two. He raised twice as many dead people. He did twice as many works as his mentor. Because God gave him double for his trouble. You see, everything you go through is for a reason and for a season. And God brought him into the discipleship relationship, not to forever be a hand washer, not to forever be a servant, but to learn what it was like to lead. Because the best leaders are the best servants. Because then when you lead over somebody, you don't lower it over them. You don't whip them into shape. You don't make them do something. You serve by example. Meaning if I go into the bathroom and something's not right, I still clean it up. I don't have to clap my hands to a servant. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because I myself cleaned some bathrooms. Now I can preach because I know what it's like to do other things than just preach. I appreciate what a church is because I know what it's like to do everything in the church so that I can pastor a church. I know what it's like to do transportation. I know what it's like to clean the parking lot. I know what it's like to go out and do uh, Bible studies. I know what it's like to work the soundboard. Are you listening today? The opportunity for you to serve in this church is great. The opportunity for you to be a disciple in this church is awesome. But you've got to be willing to do it. Let's look at Peter and Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Now we move to the New Testament. The people that we know the best as disciples. Here we got Peter, one of the most famous ones. Peter is getting called by Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 4 and look at how Jesus talks to Peter. And see if this is what you're hearing today in this church. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. It says, leaving Nazareth, he went into Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill that was written through the prophet. The land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now look at verse 18. And when Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. Peter and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Look what Jesus says. Tell me if this reminds you of Elijah and Elijah. He said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. The only thing they were missing was burning their nets and having some tilapia. Amen. Other than that, they did the same exact thing. They left what they had and followed Jesus. Now, does Jesus say, come follow me, and we're going to start Hold Your Hand Ministries? Did Jesus say, okay, this is what life is going to be about for you. I'm going to hold your hand. Whenever you go through any problems, I'm going to squeeze. Here I am. And then we're going to hang out, hug. Is that what Jesus said? Why is it we think of Jesus as that effeminate guy from those home remodeling shows? Like we think Jesus comes into your life. Oh, okay, mister. I got an idea. Let's just put a little lavender on there. Let's make this peach cobbler floor, whatever. Why do we think of Jesus that way? 
Like, no, you're not that bad. We'll just remodel a little bit. No, Jesus comes to your house with the top hat on. He has the, the truck. He says, back it up, guys. Boop, boop, boop. Destroy it all. Let them die, and I'll rebuild it from scratch. God's not here to make negotiations with you. It's all or nothing. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He came to Peter and he said, Peter, you come follow me now. This is what we're on right now. And Peter, I'm not going to pull any punches with you. You're going to be a fisher of men. So it's going to be time to work. It ain't hold your hand ministry. It ain't hug you ministries. It's let's get to work ministries because there's a lot of people that need to hear it. Amen. I'll tell some of you pity patty party people right now. The best type of solution you need for your problems is to get out of your problems, step into somebody else's, and see Jesus come with his power. And when you see him do it for others, he'll do it for you because the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. Do unto others as you want to have them done unto you. You want to know how I got set free from drugs, smoking, cussing, and chewing, bad attitudes? Going out to the projects and ministering to people. Because when I was out there, the power of God showed me His delivering power. And as it was going through me, it was also coming to me. You see, some of you want to go to church and church and church and church. It's not about church and church. It's about come follow me. Let's go. That's It's out there. Your deliverance is out of these walls. Jesus didn't have little Bible studies. Jesus had revolutionary meetings. Hey, guys, this is the plan. You all ready? Let's go. Praise God. If you want to be a fisher of men, say amen. And you might be saying, well, what about little old me, Pastor? I'm struggling a little bit. It's okay. Come and hop along a little bit on one leg. We'll take care of your little paw. Amen. Little wounded sheep comes along. We'll help you out. We just ain't going to just leave you there. We're going to help you out. But let me tell you something. You go from being a sheep to a mighty warrior. Amen. You're always his sheep. But to the world, you're a terrifying force, the Bible says, an army with banners. Praise God. Victory in Jesus' name. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus connected with Peter. Jesus connected with him by saying, it's time to go. Let's go. Now look at Mark chapter 3, verse 14. What does Jesus say when he picks his disciples? Jesus went up to a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. If he wants you, say amen. So you've got to know that he wants you. It was for them a specific group of people, but now today it's for anybody who call, uh, hear the call of God and come. But he called to those whom he wanted, and he designated them his twelve, and he appointed them to be apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Can you say amen? I believe it's time for a church that knows they're called to preach. You think the preacher on Sunday is the only preacher? Let me just tell you something, my friends. You have a 168-hour work week and life week. You're only here for one hour. Who's preaching the other 167, baby? Come on. Who's preaching out there on the job? Who's preaching in the Italian restaurant, Bruno uh, Otto? Who's preaching in the gym? Who's preaching out there in the in the uh, the secular world? Who's going out there to reach those people? That's why Jesus said, "I need all of you to get it and go out there and give it." And then, lastly, our favorite verse here in the church, Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verses eighteen to twenty. Look at verse nineteen to summarize. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. But hold on, Jesus, we've only been with you three years. We don't think we're ready yet. We're still in training wheels. We still wear pampers. Sometimes we think with our little attitudes, and sometimes I'm afraid. Peter said. But what did he say, guys? It's time to go. 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. You want to know where Jesus is? Jesus is with his disciples. Jesus could care less about a cathedral. Look what he did at his own Jewish temple. He tore the place up. Jesus is not looking for choirs. He's not looking for fancy preachers. He's looking for disciples. And if you want to be where Jesus is, be a disciple because he's with you always. We sitting up here in America begging God for a good parking spot at Walmart on Black Friday and hoping somebody doesn't buy that pair of shoes and we wondering where Jesus is. I'm telling you, Jesus is in an Indian hut right now with people on their face in a dirt floor crying out to God for revival for a nation, whether by life or by death. My friends, it's time we get away from a consumer gospel and become the disciples who live for Jesus. God is with his disciples. Traveling on a plane to India, he was with me, my friend. Going now to Nigeria, he's with me. He'll be with you everywhere you go. Why? Because you're a disciple. You can turn down the air for me. I see people getting cold. I was just getting hot up here. Amen. Yeah, y'all bundling up. Last one right here, Paul and Timothy. This was after the time of Jesus. Look to Acts 16. If you're excited, say, bring it, pastor. Say, I got to work off some of that past, uh, that turkey, pastor. Come on, I'm working it off right now. I got leaves. I think it's like leaves all up here, amen, sweating. Dear God, help me. I got to come here in a workout outfit or something. This, it's like a heat blower right on me. Look at my little thon on. Acts 16, 1 through 3. Now you got Paul the apostle. Look at how he meets Timothy. If you ever wondered why there was a book named Timothy, here it is. Somebody say, but I'll. Amen. Chapter 16, verse 1. He came. Oh, I'm sorry. You guys are good disciples for saying, but ow. Thank you. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a what? Where a what? Thank you. Where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So he had a good reputation among his peers. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all had known that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem and for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew in numbers. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Paul found a disciple named Timothy, and he said, come on, man, it's time to get fun. We're going to have a good time right now. We're going to go to all these churches. We're going to change the world. But who was Timothy? He was just a disciple. Some of the greatest people in this world have been just people like you and I. You know D.L. Moody? You know what he was? Just a disciple who was a a salesman. That's who D.L. Moody was. No training, no Bible education. Do you know, as a matter of fact, I was in seminary. I'm in seminary, but I was in a class for leadership. So I'm in seminary in a class in leadership, and they're teaching the number one hindrances in growing a church. And you know what one of the top four hindrances is? Seminary education. Think about it. I'm in seminary, and they're telling me, Pastor, part of the problems why churches don't grow is because of the education we're giving you. 
You get too much of this and out of this, you're no effective out there. You know, we heard the saying, they don't care how much you know. They care. They only want to know that you care. That's so true. God is not looking for mighty warriors who can quote the Bible backwards and forwards. He's not looking for spiritual giants who impress all the people around them. He's looking for people just like Timothy who are disciples, who know the word, who are accountable, who have the brothers speak well of him. Those people can be used to change the world. Now look at First uh, Corinthians chapter four verse seventeen. So Timothy begins to follow Paul, and as he begins to follow him, he experiences the persecution, he experiences the famine, he experiences the suffering of being a disciple. For those men in those days, it was not an easy thing. It wasn't an evangelist telling evangelist lifestyle, getting bussed around in limousines and staying in the best hotels. But look at First Corinthians chapter four verse seventeen. This is what Paul says. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy. So he's going to send Timothy to the city of Corinth. He says, for this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. He said, Timothy knows what's going on. He said, Timothy knows what I teach, and he'll remind you of it. So if I'm not here, somebody will remind you of it. When I'm not in India, somebody's reminding them of it. When you're not home, your children remind the other children of it. You get what I'm saying here? The Bible says you've took on the teachings. Now you're replicating the teachings. Now go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. In closing, can you say, thank you, Lord? Come on, Jesus is in this house. This is your now word. Those who like the tinglies of the Holy Ghost, this is your tingly right here. Amen. This is the Holy Ghost tingly. This will make you shout right here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Here it is. This is what he says to his man Timothy. What's the book of Timothy? It's mentorship between Paul and Timothy. It's a, it's a letter of instruction. Verse 3, as I urged you when I was in Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than what is God's work, which is by faith. Can you stand up on your feet for me, please, as the band comes? Can you bless the Lord today? Come on. Let's bless the Lord. We thank you, God, for discipleship. We wouldn't have a Bible today without discipleship, God. You know, we wouldn't have it unless they would have wrote it down. I want to tell you the way that you can get into this thing right now. This is it. This is it. We don't do membership by shaking the pastor's hand. Sister Big Bucks doesn't get a special chair in front with her name engraved in it. Okay? This is how we do it here. You connect. Now, we could connect in one of two ways. I could say, Bruno, set your car on fire. Let's have some of your Italian restaurant food. And let's go to Nigeria right now. Otto, sorry. Thank you. Bruno might do it, though. I could say, let's do that. But that might get a little crazy. We'll call that a cult. We tried that today, right? If you saw me in some long robe with a staff walking around Chicago and you want to follow, I say, look, bro, we don't have a place to lay our head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. Come on, we're going to sleep under the Wacker Bridge. That would be a little crazy, wouldn't it? But that's what Jesus did. So how do we as pastors in the 21st century imitate this type of a vision, this vision of leaving it all for Jesus? 
Well, that's where we go to the book of Acts, and I don't have time to read it. But I want you to know you're here in a church that is trying to imitate it. So here's what we do. We start a small group. This is now a place where you can go and you can find a mentor. This is now where you can find a man or woman to pour into your life. They're inviting you into their house, into their world. They're sharing food with you. They're sharing life. They'll come to your son's ball games, your your daughter's recitals. They'll pray with you on the phone at 2 in the morning. They'll do a Bible study with you. They'll be there for you. This is our way of saying everybody in the large group now has a mentor in a small group. Friday's at 7. Chris and Vanessa and David and Araceli. Amen. As I called your names, can you guys just come to the front, please? Elevate, if you're a young person, there's small groups for you. Sundays at 1.30 and Saturdays at 7 p.m. So that means, parents, if you have people that you care about and they're young people, your children or the children of your cousins or uncles, this is a place where they can now know somebody. This is Cynthia standing in for his wife, by the way. Amen. Just letting you all know that. Small groups. Why? Because that way somebody can care about you. Ricky and Rachel on Sunday nights. You might say Sundays are my best days. There you go. Adam and Cynthia on Saturday nights for youth. They're there to mention. We're going to clap. Let's clap for all of them, I guess. Amen. A little awkward. We're not going to clap for you. That's weird. So you got a young person, bam, right here. Danny and Liz, a new married couple, give it up for them. They're Sunday afternoons for youth. So let's do this. Switch spots. Chris and Vanessa, come on this side, and you guys stand to the youth. So here's two youth small groups. Here's three adult small groups. That's where it starts because we care about you. Do you understand it would be really easy for me to preach on Sunday and then we all just go home and don't do anything? That's easy. But if you remember my story, I couldn't live like that. Even if right now you paid me 100000 some pastors make a lot of money. If you paid me 100000 and said, Pastor, we'll get a congregation of 500 but here's the deal. You don't mess with us. We don't mess with you. We'll come on Sunday, give our tithes and offerings. But don't ask us anything else during the week, and we'll have it made. I couldn't live like that. I already was there. Not 100000 but I was there getting paid. I couldn't imagine that pastors were getting paid this. I was happy. But I was so bored, and more than that, I was discouraged. I said, church has got to be more than this. We just come in and go? Come on. Jesus said he had people with him all the time changing the world. The next part that you get into is the mentoring. There's two classes, and... It it works as a grade, grade one, grade two. We call it the 101 and the 201. It works very simply. You join a small group, and then you come to the leaders and you say, can we go through this book together? Why? I'm trying to teach you everything Jesus commanded. If you know of a better way, email it to me. I'll consider. I don't know of a better way. Like I said, we could all live on the side of a mountain, and I'll preach to you for three days, and you'll go hungry, and you'll wonder what's going wrong, and I'll get some elotes, and we'll pray over it, and everybody can eat. That's what Jesus did. I don't know if you want to listen to me for three days. Some of you are already bored right now. 
But that's how Jesus taught all he commanded. Jesus took three days to do it. Okay, take a bathroom break. See you back. Got two more days to go. Do you all get what we're trying to do? We take this very seriously. When did I write these books? During the time when we had nobody. Just a handful of people. God said, get the vision in order. I'll say, connect, mentor, send. And I started writing these books so that you could come and there would be something prepared for you. Some of the first ones that went through it are now serving God. And they're graduating and they're awesome. So you go through the 101. It's a seven-step book. They talk about salvation, what it means to pray, what it means to read your Bible, how to get the sin out of your life, what it means to speak in other tongues, why we experience that, what it means to overcome the world and live by faith, what is baptism and communion. And the last lesson, lesson seven, is how to share your faith because now you're excited. And then what they do is they send you to me and then you meet. Right now we have the Sunday morning class. And you are welcome to come once they say you're ready. And by the way, at the winter retreat, baptisms. Come on, somebody get excited. Polar bear style out in the Wisconsin lake, baby. I'm kidding. (laughs) Inside the pool. Inside the pool. Just kidding. Maybe the hot tub this time because it was a hot tub there, you know. Baptize me, Pastor. You go to the 201. And then we keep you there for two cycles. Why? Because we want to make sure you get it. There's 12 lessons on Christian leadership. The first four is what you should be. You should be free. You should be anointed. You should be holy and humble. Then what you should have is the next four. You should have a blessed home. You should have a great devotional life. You should have a balanced life. And you should have a lifestyle of giving. And then last four is what a disciple does. A disciple builds a local church, operates in the gifts of the Spirit, defends the faith, and then lastly changes the world. That's what you do. And then when you graduate from this uh, 201 class, you can now say, man, I've been discipled. I'm effective now. And when we graduate you, we graduate you as a deacon. And everybody say servant. The word in the Greek for deacon, dikanos, means servant. So this is what we call a member of our church. When you graduated and you're a deacon and you're serving, and you can serve in any area, you want to help out with the transportation, maybe it's blessed you, you start to help out there. You want to help in the nursery, you help out there. Some of you might say, but pastor, I want to help out right now. Let me ask you a question. Can I show up at the airport and help out the pilot right now without being trained? (laughs) How many would like that? You come on, you're getting on the plane after the pat down and all that. You get onto the plane and like you see me up there and I'm like, dude, what does this button do? And then like the people are like, what's he going to do? I'm just going to help. He's wanting to help. I mean, he's wanting to, I'm just going to let him fly it today. He wanted to help. I, I take church ministry that serious. It doesn't matter if you just want to take out the garbage. I want you to be involved in the training. You might take out the garbage with an attitude. You might get upset. I don't know. We want to see that you're really wanting to be a disciple. Then you can take out the garbage, amen. And you'll be happy to take out that garbage, praise God. You will in Jesus' name, amen. You can start a new small group. You can serve in the ministries. Today's call is a call for disciples. When we started this church, it was for you to come and be disciples. I don't want anybody here to be intimidated, but I want you to be challenged. I don't want anybody to feel you're not saved if you're not a disciple. Sometimes after I preach a message like this, I have somebody walk up to me and go, a Pastor, I've been serving the Lord for 20 years, and I've been praying and loving God every day, but I haven't been discipled. Am I going to heaven? Yes. Yes, you are. Okay, we got that settled. Amen? You can go to heaven without being a disciple. 
But you won't build a local church. You won't cast out demons. You won't have authority. You won't know what you're doing. You'll be like a, pa- a baby in pampers chasing the devil with a switch, like a, like a little switch in your hand. Go, I'm going to get you, devil, with a little twig in your hand. Amen? No babies in pampers. We've got to grow up and become mighty men and women of God. Here's how we're going to close it out today. We're going to ask all of you who have, alre- who have not already, who haven't already, joined these small groups and committed to discipleship, that you would come forward. You might be saying, oh, man, that's a commitment now. That's, that's tough, Pastor. Because, Pastor, if I don't go to work, the whole economy will fall. And, and Pastor, if, if I don't go to my kid's soccer game, there won't be a World Cup next year. And, and Pastor, if, if, if I don't join this gym and spend my time doing these things, the sun and the moon will collapse. And there'll be no more universe left. There'll be a black hole because I'm that busy. I'm like Atlantis holding up the world. No, I'm just being honest. I don't want anybody to feel bad, but I feel that way. Oh, you can't come? Well, because I work so hard and I'm doing all these things. Okay, you're just working really hard as a baby in pampers, aren't you? You're just working really hard getting pimp slapped by the devil. Can you, can you stop that? Let's stop that. If, if I said to you right now, those of you who are working, I will pay you $100 an hour if you show up at my job. You will do whatever it takes. If I told you, ladies, I'll give you a free mani petty and a hairdo. If you show up at this time every week, would you come? You'll do whatever it takes. Sorry to be like that, but I don't know you an example. This has got to be important. Even if, and I know some of you are ready to pray, praise God. Even if some of you are saying right now, Pastor, I work Friday night, I work Sunday night, I'm an adult, and I love Jesus. What more can you ask of me? This is what I would ask. Pick one of these leaders and have them show up on your lunch break. Do you get one of those? If you don't get one of those, when do you wake up? Can they meet you for breakfast? Do you eat in your life? Can they meet you at your bathroom break? Through through the door. Lesson number one. Can you hear me in there? Just making sure. Would you do that for a brother? Would you meet him on a bathroom break if he was that busy? Oh, I need prayer. <laughs> Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for today. Lord, there ain't no condo bondo in you. No condemnation. There is no bondage. Lord, you didn't force disciples to follow you. You didn't manipulate them to follow you. You simply asked. Lord, I'm closing out this series. What you know is so important to our heart because it's important to your heart. Lord, we're bidding disciples to come. It's 2,000 years later. We're wearing fancy clothes. we got technology. But, Lord, we're just doing what you told us to do. We're bidding disciples to come. As right now I'm praying, the band is going to begin to sing this awesome song. As they sing it, would you just come in Jesus' name? We're not meaning to embarrass anybody. We just invite you to come today. Come on, I give myself away so you can use me. Come on, who today is saying it's my time? God is bidding you to come.
And he's saying, now is your time. I want to change, Jesus. I want to be a disciple. give you guys 30 more seconds I I don't see anybody moving I am shocked, disappointed grieved, just pause for a moment, I'm just going to share my heart to the Lord God forgive them, they don't know what they're doing God they're coming to this church thinking this is it and yet I just told them from the pastor's perspective this is not it now God it grieves my heart that some are not moving God just forgive them today God, give them another chance. There's already 80 plus of you that have already done it, but there's at least 20, 30 of you. We were praying for you this weekend that the message would speak to your heart. And I just want to let you know I'm grieving for some of you right now. And I'll just tell you that from my heart, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I don't want you to come because of me. But I'm going to make one more plea. God, have mercy on them. God, they make so many excuses, and they think it's okay. God, so many in this church are not in discipleship. Their life is not transforming. And I risk losing the little they even give on a Sunday to offend them now. Because, Lord, I know how important it is. Because, God, it doesn't really matter the Sunday. You didn't just tell people to follow you for a day. You told them to lay down your life. But I want every leader up here to begin to intercede because those who are not moving from their chairs are the ones that are without discipleship. And they are the ones that are missing in your small group meetings. They're the ones that God's putting on your heart throughout the week. Let them hear you pray for them now as I'm praying for them. 30 more seconds, I'll give you a last call, then we'll dismiss this service. I'm going home with my wife. I'm a disciple. I'm great. We're not going to make you do it, trust me. But I won't let you feel comfortable about rejecting it either. You should feel uncomfortable. If you're offended, God bless you. We love you. There's another church down the road that will accept you and the half-hearted devotion you give to God. You can go to that church. Jesus said, I called disciples. I call disciples. Come on, keep praying, keep praying. Keep praying. God, it breaks our heart, but it breaks yours more. It breaks yours more, God, because you see the turmoil and the suffering and the problems that they face in their life. Because, God, they can't do it on their own. They can't fight it on their own. They can't fix their marriage on their own. And, God, some of them think they don't need any help, and that's the problem, God, because they're prideful. But, Lord, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them, Jesus. And if this is their last message, God, let the last message be that of a preacher calling out that they would be a disciple, that they wouldn't hide in the crowd, that they would come forth, deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Jesus. Sing it again, sister. Come on, man. This is your last chance. If you're already in a discipleship group, just pray for those who are wavering. Come on, Jesus. Sing it out, girl. Now is the time. I give myself.
of those who are in these groups already. Just come to the front. If you're praying, keep praying. But let's flood these altars today. Let's encourage each other. It might have been discouraging at first, but this church is full of disciples.